Welcome to Almost Here, Round the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies poised to transform our lives for better or worse are the focus of this podcast. Almost Here means these technologies are now here and starting to be used or just around the corner from Bitcoin to artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. This is Richard Jacobs with Future Tech Podcast. And today, my guest is Dean Masley. Dean works with uh, Blockchain Edu, BlockchainEDU.org. So it's an educational nonprofit that whose goal it is to uh, spread the use of blockchain, particularly among students. Um, do I have that right, Dean? Yeah, absolutely. It's pretty on point. Okay. <laughs> yeah, tell me, tell me more about your guys' mission and you know where you came from and what your role is. Yeah, so uh, I guess our basic story is that, like, uh, back in 2014, um, there's a few schools like Michigan, Harvard, Stanford, um, and they were creating some blockchain clubs on the university campuses. And uh, um, some students from the University of Michigan, uh, Daniel Bloke and Jeremy Gardner, actually um, were thinking, why not try to organize some of the efforts of some of these students or at least just kind of get in contact to see what other kids are doing. Um, this is the time when, you know, this technology was still super nascent, not a lot of people knew about it, so it was, like, really valuable to, like, kind of reach out to other leaders they're taking on the task of creating a blockchain club on the university campus. And uh, what began is just like a Facebook messenger group that connects with a few kids, like immediately began expanding super quickly. And eventually um, up to today where we have over students that have signed up from over like 315 schools. Um, and mm. the way it kind of works is that all, today we kind of organize all these students to empower them to have local uh, influence. So like keep building their clubs to have local effects. Um, and we try to help them out through that by doing, like, global events that they can participate in and be a part of something bigger than That's themselves. great. You know, I don't <clears> – <throat> I know a little bit about blockchain, but only in the context of Bitcoin. I know that Bitcoin uses it as a, a generalized oh, cool. ledger. We get to go through the whole uh, from zero to hero. Love it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so you know, you'll correct me. From what I understand, I know Bitcoin, again, uses this – It's essentially it's like a ledger book that's on many, many people's computers – and because of that, it's very hard to corrupt it, and it's um, you know you can depend on what's in there. So it's an accounting, yeah. it's like a public accounting system essentially is blockchain, right? Absolutely. And honestly, uh, it, it, the concept when people hear on the news, it sounds so archaic, and they say, "What's this Bitcoin blockchain thing?" But when you start to look into it initially, it even starts to like start becoming extremely almost self-obvious. Um, the way the system works is that it kind of goes with the theory of, well, things on the Internet are easily copyable, such as, like, a music file. That's where, you know, music piracy is a huge issue or is a huge problem with uh, the music industry trying to stop it from happening. But, like, how do you fundamentally stop people from taking a digital file and copying it and sending it to their friends? And so you can't have a money system with that in mind because then you go into what's called the, uh, the general Byzantine problem or just the double spend problem where if I give you $100 and it's $100 dot dot money or dot bitcoin like a file you could just copy that file over and over again so how could you use the functions of the internet which is really good at copying to kind of create a secure money system and so then bitcoin and blockchain is the first idea of like well how about instead of making the money copyable you make a ledger copyable and so that way if anyone makes a copy that's not the same as the other people it's extremely obvious that they're deviating and so then it kind of like fundamentally tries to switch this on its head to kind of create a system uh for money that you can send around okay. that's scarce and creating scarcity on the internet. Yeah, and it's it's funny in today's world. Um, like I rarely use cash anymore. Sadly, I, I enjoyed it, but um, <laughs> it seems like I mean it, it's funny when you look at your bank account balance. It's just electrons. It's the only reason that it is what it is is because the banks 
all agree that that's what it is. It's it's crazy. Even the idea of money itself is just it's what everyone agrees that you have really is money. You know. And that's what it's interesting because like and that's why I kind of became so fascinated with this project because it's kind of like how would you create a money system if it weren't attached to anything in the real world like no government, no physical asset. Because if you were able to create this kind of separated entity, then you can kind of do things with it that aren't possible with the real world. Like it can have global reach. It can be used anywhere with the Internet. Um, and that's something that's just never been possible before. And I think it might be extremely useful, like coming up with globalism, where we're all we're becoming more and more involved with each other and people across the world every day. And so it makes sense in my mind that a currency or at least some kind of network that's able to exchange things neutrally across this Internet layer uh, transferring value is much better than kind of a gated system that we have today. Mm. Which is why me okay. as a youth who's more kind of familiar with, you know, the internet and kind of uh, friend groups that aren't um, separated by geographical borders, for me, internet currency makes much more sense than a bank account. Yeah, what well, you know, I'm, um, I've been looking into Bitcoin and blockchain and I've been reading quite a bit about it. The average person I don't think does. It seems very it seems hard to understand. You have cryptography, you have, I mean, all this crazy. How do you explain, explain it very, very simply so your average person can understand how to use it and, you know, if they want to use Bitcoin, for instance, how they get into it and, and how it works? So, honestly, that's kind of the, uh, the biggest kind of problem in blockchain, right? The learning curve is so steep. Um, one, the whole thing inherently, like asking people to start playing around with an alternate money system is kind of ludicrous. Like no one would even think of using something that's not their native country's currency. So that question in itself is a little bit loaded like because uh, that's kind of the entire experiment that everyone's kind of working on. In our experience, actually, we've had – I have the best experience describing the technology by simply showing it to people because uh, – the more words I use to describe it and trying to go into it, if I give it more detail, it's more complex, less detail is too vague. And so honestly, I think the best way to kind of see what the technology is about is to simply use it. Um, I will do like demonstrations with people where I'll just literally just like have them install a wallet on their phone in front of me and then I can give them Bitcoin on the spot. Um, they don't need to set up mm. a bank account. They don't need to give away any personal information, but they were still able to accept this kind of value transfer for me with like very little effort. And that kind of experience in my uh, uh, history has been the most easy way to kind of hook people in and then kind of prepare them to kind of want to go a little bit deeper with you. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, it would be a lot less mm -hmm. scary when you do a transaction. Let's say, you you know, you get a Bitcoin from you or, you know, I go and I'm able to get a cup of coffee. And I go, oh, wow, it worked. You know, the the guy gave exactly. me coffee and, I get, you know, and you, I, you that, would, that would make it a lot of familiar familiar Because, like, you know, you just basically – Scan a QR code and pay, um, or you send it to an address. It's very similar to like sending it to an email, and you're like, oh, this is pretty, you know, like is that it? Like is this all it is? And it, it breaks away a lot of the mystery and a lot of the mystique behind it, I think. Um, and then it's so much easier okay. to start asking questions and ha having like appreciation for it. Have you found that people really want to understand it deeply, or they just want to be able to use it and they're satisfied with it? Do they want to know about? The crypt, you know, the the hash functions and the underlying technology yeah, that makes depends, it work, right? but it just you know. it's like um because this thing is so kind of expansive, like you know, it has actual real monetary value, and it's a gateway to like Bitcoin is just one of a thousand other cryptocurrencies. Um, it's definitely mm -hmm. the strongest one, but there's other strong ones such as like Ethereum, um, and there's other like like Augur just came out recently, and their token just came out and topped really high. So it's it's an entire wild west of like this 
alternate finance that is like kind of distributed across the entire world. And so that alone is just immersive enough to get day traders and people wanting to kind of like navigate that platform to go through it. But also, you know, there's tons of hackathons that are going on across the world where developers are learning how the hashes work, how using different companies are creating APIs or building their own platforms and using this kind of opportunity of like this open playground to kind of, uh, they're using this like open playground to kind of create things that's never been created before. Okay. All right. Um, you talked about about blockchain clubs. So what? I mean, you're alluding to the oh, fact, right. I guess, that yeah, blockchain guess is, probably... is yeah beyond yeah, money, so... beyond Bitcoin and money. What is what can blockchain be used for? This is really interesting. I think. Right. So I think um, there's a lot of things that can be used for because I think fundamentally the way I like to think uh, approach blockchain with people because like. How do you kind of approach this kind of huge socioeconomic experiment, right? Like it traverses into so many boundaries. But the best way to explain it to young people in a way that I think is approachable to millennials is like blockchain almost represents this kind of way to establish digital rights. Like right now, um, you know, internet privacy, um, ownership of your own identity, um, the ability of advertisers to sell your information, and like what people can control your information flows on the internet. Um, it, it, it seems very like dystopian, like it's going towards this kind of surveillance big brother state that we have no power over. And it's uh, mm. this technology almost represents a way of kind of putting a stand in the ground and giving people, one, the ability to control their own information, have the ability to establish accountability and transparency, and kind of like, uh, like, like basically create things that cannot be taken away from them. Like if you are able to set a transaction that cannot be censored, then you have the ability to create relationships that the government has to negotiate with you instead of just enforcing against you. And so it kind of creates this new establishment of this global culture and giving them the tools to kind of defend themselves in what should be kind of baseline digital rights. And so then to kind of extrapolate that further in a more tangible, like where would that be used in the world, um, I think a great example where it could be used in the industry is like healthcare. Um, so right now with healthcare in America, I mean, even if you are totally against socialized medicine, you say like it's good that America has a system that's capitalism at its finest, but really even if it's a capitalist healthcare system, it's it's terrible because there's no price discovery. So let's say you want to like uh, have you're, you know you're about to have a baby and so you're shopping around hospitals and you're trying to find which hospital is the best place to have your wife give birth at because different hospitals have drastically different prices, especially comparing with your own individual insurance plans. You know, going to one hospital over the other can be the difference of thousands of dollars. And so mm -hmm. it makes sense if we're using capitalistic healthcare that, you know, different hospitals will be able to price their, what they do for childbirth, and then you can use that information to find the hospital that best meets your needs, and then that competition should drive down market prices and keep things neutral. But we don't have that, actually, because there's no pricing discovery system at all. Like, you can't even call a hospital and ask them for the total cost of a childbirth without them giving an estimate that is oftentimes wildly inaccurate. And so right. things like blockchain give the ability to actually uh, do things like creating the entire price table, which mismatches with your own individual insurance plan, and doing total cost, uh, cost deductibles by comparing those price tables without having to reveal personal information. And I know that's like a whole bunch of uh, – hmm. I don't want to get into the, the nature of how that works specifically, but um, that's an example of well, how maybe it kind we of can, uh, Maybe we can do it just for one example. What, let's just do one. Like what's one example? Maybe that – you know, price discovery, how would that actually work in, in layman's terms? Right. Okay, cool. Blockchain. So let's say that you are an individual and you have your insurance plan and then you have your own individual health information, like your own individual visits. 
and you would be able to keep all these visits and all this information and all these different complications of your own health profile in a record that you control and that you have the ability to give out optionally levels of information or pieces of that file to people who need it. And so that way everything aggregates to a file that you can control and you have the ability to give out selective information about that to find out either pricing information or availability of drugs that are relevant to you or decisions for your doctors to make. And so in the case of, let's say, going in insurance claims, you can use then your own, your own insurance claim to then compare against a price table of uh, a hospital, which they don't publish now because that kind of information is um, hard to make public with databases that aren't like, – like the databases are made on like Excel or like MySQL or they're not meant to be publicly okay. interfaced um, with like – people to interface with it and, and check their insurance codes because doing so would inherently make people vulnerable to revealing private information with themselves. And so this would give okay. people a way to kind of use their information and, and, and compare it against a data table and get immediate pricing information without having to reveal that personal information. <laughs> and, and, you know, without going into, again, gory detail, blockchain will let you do that kind of thing. Correct. Or, for example, like, let's say in the future when blockchain is a currency, I'm not saying that it is, but, you know, it, the Bitcoin or some other kind of dollar coin, um, you could do things like, let's say you have money given to you as a health insurance plan, like Medicare, where it's only the money should only be spent on certain operations. Well, then you can basically make it so that money has code written into it, like instructions that this money can only be spent on these procedures, and then you can basically eliminate fraud at the source. You can basically program the money to only have certain payout conditions, so that we completely eliminate fraud by basically removing people the ability to like spend on things that are not what they're allocated for. That's a really interesting thing you said. Program the money. It's um, I guess yeah, like a a snap card or a food stamp credit card is a form of programmed money. It can only buy certain things and not others. But it's really interesting right. that you, you call it that. the interesting thing about like the comparison between I guess the snap like a snap card of a, like a what we use today is that those systems require someone to build an entire database and servers that you have to call to and build up the entire code for that to work, whereas with the blockchain, you can make it entire public so that, like, you just basically set this thing forward and no one needs to control the databases. No one needs to be in charge of the snap card. And even a variety of co competitors can use the same platform. So it could be snap card and a variety of, of other cards. <laughs> Let's say if other, like, nonprofits, like, then issue their own kind of food programs, and they could use the same kind of networks um hmm. yeah very interesting what any other applications of it that you're particularly fascinated with or you think it'll be amazing when they come to fruition i mean to me fundamentally um the re i mean like i think just the baseline this the still progressing goal of trying to create a, a universal not currency but value system a way for people anywhere on the internet to exchange value with each other um without need to for an interme intermediary without need to pay significant fees, um, without need for any guard access, depending on, like, what your country's legal restrictions are, for example, in Argentina or in China where you have capital controls, um, creating that baseline and then letting people establish last miles, just creating exchanges to, to convert Bitcoin or other currencies to your native currency. Um, these, this is still, like, kind of the progressing goal, and it's made significant bounds, but that's my, my fundamental, like, love or a uh, big hope for this to work out because I think that's the hugest goal for to approach first because giving the the world a universal value system, you know, that, that enables entrepreneurship across the world, enables us to sell services to third world countries like 
you know, it opens up entire markets that were never possible before, um, and enables collaboration partners that were never possible before. And so, like, okay. the other side industries are really interesting use cases to kind of go into, like, how blockchain works. But I think fundamentally the Bitcoin project that started this whole thing is still my favorite uh, ideal vision for all this. <laughs> yeah, what do you, you talked about um, blockchain clubs. So what what do you find that students are most excited about? Is it... You know, right. the idea of so, a value proposition of currency or other, other type applications. Right. So if you think about, it, like, kids who are in college, like, uh, they don't usually have bank accounts, or if they do, they're, for a very short time period, they just got one, and they might just have a basic account with a basic credit card. And then through, like, so they're not totally attached to making loans or they're not very invested to the banking system or have used any complex features of it. But once they start needing to do more complex things, like, it becomes very frustrating to need to, like, deal with concepts that like, business hours or like having to fill out paperwork or give up certain information. Um, there's a lot of things that are just kind of like, or, or limits to who you can send to based on what bank account they have. There's a lot of these like arbitrary legacy problems that kind of don't jive from a, a generation that grew up with the internet, you know, like right. playing video games with each other across the world and not having boundaries of where they are. Well, yeah, what are you finding that the clubs are most interested in? You know, when you talk to other, you know, people that are in this, right. And so um, basically, are, uh, what are they most clubs, excited they find, about? Like, a lot of opportunity from this. So like, because this is kind of in line, this technology is an experimental money system that is in line with their values. Like, you can use it anywhere across the world with anyone you want to across the world, and you can get started without asking permission. So fundamentally, the the values are very in line with our generation. And blockchain clubs specifically are like like there's there's so much to explore. Like not not very much has been done yet, but there's a lot of tools that have been built to create stuff. And so for blockchain clubs, it's really interesting to, like, if you're not really well-vested in the finance system, you don't have a lot of money, um, and you can make risks because if you fail, you can just start again. It's very, like, it's a, it's a good breeding ground for these kind of, like, local Bitcoin communities or local blockchain communities that start to emerge. Like, if you have a friend where you can pay them Bitcoin for splitting a bar tab with you, you're much more likely to keep using this technology and figure out how it ticks. And then by doing that and having a little small friend group where you do these things with, you experience these kind of subtle interactions that happen when using the technology that no one else is experiencing yet. And that puts you ahead of the game. And so that's kind of the value proposition of all these kind of blockchain communities, all these blockchain clubs, is that these students are literally creating for the first time these kind of like socioeconomic experiments on their campuses. And then our organization as the Blockchain Education Network is trying to connect all these campuses together to kind of like spread this experiment globally. Um, and for example, like uh, this November we're going to um, London, we're bringing uh, members from Italy and Netherlands and from Delaware and New York, and they're, we're all going to be, uh, we got three tickets to them um, to this conference, and so we're all going to be hanging out together at the conference, representing ourselves and meeting people and, like, trying to cross-fix our communities together. That's great. Um, <clears throat> you talk a lot about your generation and millennials and all that, and, um, do the people in the clubs really see the old order, the old guard, you know, the current establishment, the big banks and all that as adversarial to what they're doing? Do you guys get no, a lot of flack? I mean, I mean, I think it's good to have a broader perspective of a lot of possibilities and that, like, a lot of different things can exist at the same time simultaneously. Um, so currently, okay. the ecosystem, actually, in blockchain, is this huge kind of emergence of private blockchains, of, like, an ability for institutions to kind of use this technology, the benefits of its security and kind of like um, distributed power between groups that's useful to them, but they don't really want on sense. They don't want, uh, they, they want to be able to censor and they don't want any actor to be able to join in and they don't want um, 
all the scalability issues. Um, and so there's this emergence of private blockchains, which is kind of like interesting because like IBM is creating this thing called Hyperledger, and uh, mm -hmm. R3, which is a consortium of banks, is creating a thing called uh, Corbit, I think, or uh, yeah, I think it's Corbit. Um, but and, and they're basically trying to recreate the Swift banking system, um, but using blockchain, um, so that can be mm -hmm. used on the internet. So um, there's a variety of different use cases, and I think that we're going to see like a lot of different things succeed for different cases. I don't think there needs to be any um, one way to rule them all. Uh, yeah. <laughs> like the Lord of the Rings, gotcha. Um, mm -hmm. you, it sounds almost like blockchain technology will become the default way to, to create and manipulate databases. Is that reaching too far, or does that make sense? So, yeah, I think it's a, it's a nice... Um, phrase to use, but I think for users, um, the big, so when I try to describe blockchain to people before, I even describe money, um, I think the best way to kind of tangibilize it is kind of saying, like, you know, we're kind of moving towards this thing of the sharing economy, right? Like, everyone uses Uber, everyone uses Airbnb. It's becoming the norm that you have resources and you can share them and kind of earn value from them. Like, we can kind right. of share resources with each other, and this sharing economy vibe is, like, you know, becoming more prevalent that the more information we have, we can kind of use it to make our lives more efficient. But the thing is that, like, Airbnb and Uber aren't actually sharing. Like, they take 20% for being the middleman of those interactions. And so the thing is, it's like we're using this technology to do these kind of complex interactions, but we're still paying a middleman to kind of orchestrate this whole thing. So it's, no, it's nothing better than just a higher – like, Uber is nothing better than just a fancier taxi company. So, like, I think the progression of these things, and as its natural, like, way we already expect it to, is that, like, Uber might be replaced by, like, you know, an Uber blockchain where, like, Uber and Lyft and Didi in China, like, they could basically just be this car network that they all compete and use the same – like, they use the same platform. So that anyone can make a request on okay. it, and different platforms can then retrieve it. And so there's going to be kind of this creation of, like, you know, different industries or different sectors are creating their own blockchains or their own systems for handling data, and then everyone in the ecosystem can contribute in a trustful way so that there's no hierarchy, there's no bottlenecks. And it creates yeah. a way for us all to interact with each other where we're both a supply and a demand without middlemen. So then the cost of the service goes down. So, like, Uber would be then 20% less expensive, right. stuff like that. Huh. So it's almost like, uh, yeah. It's, it's it's like providing the Internet with the tools to do to replace, like, all the paper stuff that we do today or all the, like, legal stuff, um, like creating smart contracts where, like, you know, you make agreements with code with this programmable money, and things will automatically execute based on conditions of the contract, whether, you know, you can program it to, like, watch the price of the dollar or maybe, like, the forecast of certain events. Um, there's a lot of different interesting things going on to kind of, like, codify the Internet into a secure system to actually do, like, industrial performance on it um, in terms of, like, you know, handling okay. all the things that we're using today with paper. So it's like making these platforms public, where everyone can use it and democratizing it because no well, one company so we're, like we're doing Uber. internet of things right like even uh, in our own homes like people are starting to get devices that are using internet of things like it's starting now with Nest with people like controlling mm -hmm. their house temperature but I mean like right. you know already we're gonna start putting things we're gonna control our toaster with it our coffee like we're gonna do our washing machine our refrigerator might order our food from us from um, Instacart right and they might do these things without us even having to register anything. We can just, like, put these conditions in play, and the code will automatically execute. You know, the refrigerator might have its own wallet to buy stuff with. Like, um, And so what's interesting is that uh, we're already moving towards this Internet of Things, but we don't have the security system to make these networks interact with each other securely. Like, the current right, Internet right. protocols that we use to actually, like, network things 
are extremely weak in security, and they're not really meant for that kind of scale of interaction. And so blockchain represents the ability to kind of create these open ecosystems that all these devices can interact in securely without their individual connection being hacked. Gotcha. Yeah, I've heard quite a bit about, um, I mean, baby monitors being hacked, uh, home routers being hacked. Well, even use a fun little uh, thought bubble, right? So let's say in the distant future when everyone's all connected to the Internet of Things and your washing machine is connected to this big washing machine network and it'll buy Mm -hmm. soap every time it runs out. And so let's say a hacker right now, if there's no blockchain, let's say a hacker can go in and then basically run a virus that makes all the devices basically buy soap for an extra penny, maybe even an extra half penny than the market price. And before right. he executes the code, he can then short the market or, or, or long the market and make a killing when he does that and then basically have millions of people buying soap for a higher price and, like, you know, basically make huge amounts of money by just basically executing a code. Like, the more we connect the Internet and the right. more we protect our finances, these attacks become possible. And so we need to basically use systems that are much more resilient to those kinds of attacks. Yeah, I've heard of um, many cars now, especially in Europe, are stolen using computers, not physically. They're driven off the lot by people <laughs> hacking into them. And oh, yeah, stolen. I think I yeah. saw like, a few yeah. of those shows where they had a guy was in the car and they, hacked, they, they took control. It's yep. pretty wild. Well, all right, so, you know, if blockchain is going to take such a huge role in the world, it's got to be tough. I mean, it, it's got to be... Nothing is unhackable, but it's got to be so really the way resistant. That's interesting about, in terms of hackability, right, is that blockchain makes it really awesome for making secure peer-to-peer connections. But the thing is, like, you, you've seen probably tons of, like, Bitcoin exchange hacked or Bitcoin hacked, mm-hmm. right? Um, yep. you know, the reasoning for that is because, like, it's still um, security rests on the users. So the thing that's interesting is that credit cards – they're basically secure by insurance. Like, you can be a stupid idiot, lose your credit card, have it stolen, and there's an insurance system in place to just get your money back and you don't have to worry about it, right? Right. The cost right. of that is that they just basically charge a high premium for that um, so that all your transactions are basically more expensive than they would be without this need for insurance. So basically, it's super hackable, but they just charge a high insurance to cover the cost of people hacking it instead of just closing yeah. the hacking gap and then reducing the cost of it operating. Uh, and they cover that cost up with bundles and other deals that we like. Um, but anyways, so yeah, so then with blockchain, it's a little bit different in terms of that, um, you know, the, the, the transaction between the individual is secure, but if I, for example, put my wallet key somewhere else, like, or if I, if I screw up my own security mechanism, well, then I right. have no one that I can talk to or no one that can get my back. Like, once I send it or once I get hacked, there's no one that I, there's no authority to reverse the transaction. And that's where the hacking problem of Bitcoin comes into play because, like, it is an experiment. You know, like, this is literally, like, brand-new technology. It's been tested only for eight years now. And so far, it hasn't been completely destroyed. Like, you know, it's right now the market value of Bitcoin is, like, $9 billion. So if you could hack Bitcoin, like, just get into arbitrary wallets, then, you know, that's $9 billion you could just cash into status before anyone even knew what would happen. That's, like, the ultimate bounty pop. But you can hack individual users, like, let's say, into their computers, it's not secure. And if they don't have good security methods, then you can get individual users with their security. So it's a con- it's like more, it's like a constant cat and uh, mouse game. But the benefit being is that right now it's in like experiment mode. It's like still not great for the average user. Um, mm-hmm. It's definitely good enough for the savvy user to be secure and not have an issue. And so it's just basically a matter of time before these things become more user friendly. And then once that happens, it'll be on this new baseline of a more efficient, cheaper system. How do you think people will <clears throat> will react, though, or how are they reacting when 
security truly becomes their responsibility and there's no safety net, there's no insurance that we have right now, there's, there's none of that. You, you, alter, think that um, you just alter your behavior with different, like, so, I mean, even human nature, you have certain ways of approaching things if you need to have a 0% risk of something happening, right? Like, it yep. might become more difficult. You might take something where it's more annoying to access your funds immediately, but you'll do things that set it up so that, like, there's ways to mitigate the damage. So, for example, in Bitcoin, there's a thing called cold storage, where you can actually basically generate a wallet offline uh, and then send Bitcoins to it so that there's never even one moment where your wallet ever hits the Internet. And then recent advancement has been made to let you use that wallet with the Internet without it connecting to the Internet. <laughs> Basically, like, hmm. it's a complicated, like, they sign transactions without it being connected to the Internet. Um, but anyways, um, okay. so, like, by doing that, you know, it's kind of like you, there, there are ways to transact extremely securely, almost like, you know, Uber security, like nuclear tank security. Um, but that's still becoming more mainstream and friendly. But it is approachable. Yeah, so, like, it is, I mean, like, I have a USB stick that I use with my phone, and it's, Right. You know, like you can't even hack it with the NSA. Like, like the NSA doesn't even have the tools to break through the security of it. Um, if they want to just like put it on a table and try to hack it like that, so it's you know, an individual can have the security they want to, but there's this definite learning curve, and that's kind of the issue with like this thing becoming mainstream too quickly, is because of that huge okay. learning curve. So you're uh, you're saying uh, you have a USB stick that's encrypted that you use to. It's it, your cold storage wallet. Yeah, there's like a variety of saying? different like cold storage systems. Like you can go online and just okay. like there's a bunch of competitors, and so then you can basically use ones that have this kind of USB system, and you can use like OTB cables where it connects to your like USB to a phone, micro USB, or to your iPhone. Um, okay. And then basically, like, I can just use my phone as my main dashboard for my cold storage, and that way my laptop is never. If someone hacks my laptop, my Bitcoin's never touched there. If someone hacks my phone, it's never touched there. It's always been doing on this USB, which has never been online. And that way, hmm. I just, okay. I'm just able to have my, you know, all my funds securely wherever I go. If my wallet is stolen, they can't get into it because it's encrypted. If it breaks, I have a backup that I can um, recover somewhere. So it's like, you know what I mean? I have my way of making sure that I'm secure in my world. And that's possible. Right. Yeah, and maybe even to get a little really bit of a an example of like how I think this technology is even easier. So talking about this sounds like so like, ugh, like you know why even bother? But like um, so I actually worked in Germany uh, about a year ago, where I was uh, right. basically an intern. And uh, at the end of my internship, I had a check coming in after I was already come back to America, and so I couldn't transfer the money to American bank account as easily. I would have to. I had talked to them beforehand. It would cost you know seventy five dollars. Then I'd have to uh, wait four weeks, transfer to London, then to New York, and then to Delaware. Um, and it was like, I was like, oh my goodness. So beforehand, I just basically set my account up with a Bitcoin exchange. It took me about a few days just to make sure the verification went through so I could do the proper amounts. Then once my paycheck came in, I was in America, but I just went on the exchange and bought the Bitcoin because I already had my bank account set up. And then I just transferred right. the Bitcoin from the exchange to my phone. Then I cashed it up to dollars. And it cost oh, me nice. maybe a few bucks. And you know what I mean? So like as a 22-year-old, I completely beat the banking system. It's something that was way more cost-effective, way more in my context of how I understand how to approach the problem. And I'm not going to lie to you, when I was first doing this, like moving that amount of money, like, you know, like a few thousand dollars to like in Bitcoin on exchanges, like I was definitely like, Ugh. but like at the end of it, it was so exhilarating of being like, holy crap, like I just beat the banking system. Like I just did it better than they did and didn't have to deal with it at all. And so like, I think... Okay. That's that those experiences which are kind of happening in small effect but are happening on these all these college campuses are happening 
And that's kind of the propeller of what keeps this thing kind of moving. So that, yeah, what do you think's going to happen? But once you get it, it's so rewarding. <laughs> you like, you feel so okay, like okay. independent and like, uh, yeah. Yeah, what do you think is going to happen? I mean, the the old guard again is the banks, the governments, and all that. Some of them have, you know, tried to ban Bitcoin. Where do you think this is going to go over the next few years? Who's going to win the struggle, or how are things going to get you more? Know, I don't think it's even that. I don't think it's a dichotomy, right? Like, I think banking and stuff's going to continue because there's some people that are just never going to want to do it, um, and that's fine. Mm-hmm. But like, especially in the developing world, like it's going to become more relevant. Like uh, in South America, it's really relevant for avoiding um, inflation. In China, they mm-hmm. use it uh, like the majority of Bitcoin mining um, is done in China because they basically are just arbitrage or they're basically converting um, electricity for Bitcoin so that they can get around their capital controls. Um, right. So it's, you know, the technology is already being used significantly to kind of have like political dissent. And so in America, like we don't really have this need for that money system yet because the dollar is the world's you know reserve system. So there's really no imperative for us to really switch over. But right. We can we're we're like in terms of the Silicon Valley of the world, like you know we're the innovators of the world. So like we have the most ability to have like you know like all the big Bitcoin conferences and like you know all these different events and the most high concentration of activity you know is in America. And so you can develop applications in America and have them used in China in mass. And we're actually seeing right. that a lot, where like a lot of Bitcoin companies are moving over to China to kind of take advantage of this market. Um, and so it's just kind of uh, or for example Abra, um, which is a really um, popular money remittance app that's being built on top of blockchain and stuff. Uh, that's been really popular in, in developing countries um, to do money remittances. And that was okay. you know, so like it's, it's interesting in terms of like it's you know it's not needed in the Western world as like a fundamental. It's being more needed in developing countries. But that gives the d- developed countries with their you know academic basis and their ability of all these institutions to do innovation are able to take advantage of that and provide the services and uh, you know still maintain leadership if we take the initiative. So it's kind of like a boomerang, it sounds like, you know, stuff's being yeah, innovated exactly. here. Perfect. Okay. Yeah, that's actually the exact analogy I usually use to describe it. Oh, very interesting. All right. So you think it's going to take off a lot more in developing worlds and, and they're going to that, innovate. It's going to become, yeah, like, and that's going to become popular in America amongst innovators, people who want to take advantage of opportunity. And then through doing that, you know, it just becomes the basis of, like, this is the, this is the currency or this is the Internet money of, like, opportunity, and then it just becomes the basis of everything. Because like it's such a better way okay. to do online transactions. Like if you're a game developer, where your video game is sellable across the entire world, why would you use mm. PayPal, which is only usable in some countries, if you could use Bitcoin, which is theoretically, I mean, like you would use PayPal now because more people buy PayPal, but theoretically, anyone in the world can buy a Bitcoin, like with, with no matter where they are. So it's just a better system for internet transactions. And if we're building an economy based on top of the internet, you know, having that baseline allows anyone to participate with equal um, authority. Okay, all right. Just a couple more questions. What about um, the history of Bitcoin and, you know, Silk Road and buying drugs online? Do you think it's shedding that image that, you know, that it's associated oh, yeah. with? I mean, I don't think all these banks, like every large bank, if you look at R3, it's a consortium of like 42 banks. They wouldn't be running tons of Bitcoin experiment, experience, uh, experiments uh, if it was completely run over with uh, dark web stuff. I think that, like, some people might perceive it that way, but right now, especially in innovator circles, it's like much more perceived as like this, this mysterious thing of opportunity that a lot of people misunderstood, and people are trying to figure it out as quickly as they can to become the leaders in it. But it's so abstract and so different that you know there needs to be a lot of uh, clever work going on. Okay, very good. So, how um, 
blockchainedu.org, is it just for students or is it education for anyone that wants to so get involved with these? Uh, the organization is like almost focused on like a social media network or a social network, a private social network for blockchain enthusiasts in universities, high schools, and recent alumni. But we absolutely have people who are like vested in the success of students who want to like contribute time and effort to like help their success, and we bring them involved. Um, as an example, like previous hackathons, we had companies give out free, you know, enterprise tools that developers had access to these awesomely expensive enterprise tools to develop their hackathon projects. And then the entire time, they can have direct conversations with the developers of that platform so they can overcome problems quickly and, you know, make sure that while they're building a hackathon project, they don't get stuck on something that's silly. Okay, gotcha. Um, besides the website, any anywhere else I can point people that are interested in learning more about blockchain? Yeah, so if you guys, I mean, so actually right now we're running a project called the Blockchain Education Month. And basically, we're just uh, doing a bounty board of education. So we're having people submit, like, course modules to a big, like, course syllabus. And we're going to make, like, a public blockchain okay. course. Um, and we're paying people to basically submit content. And so we're having a deadline of October 31st. And we want to make an incentive for people to, like, learn about something if they don't know about it and then package the information and share it with people. And then there's an opportunity to actually win some Bitcoin out of it. So, you know, what better incentive to learn about blockchain and Bitcoin than to get some of it as a reward and then get the ability to play with it. So... Uh, exactly. If you want to get involved, yeah, to check out blockchainedu.org slash B-E-N. Uh, and so, yeah, and then we'd love to have people help out. Okay. And, uh, yeah, last question. Um, for people interested, not only in the education part, but, like, as you said, just jumping in and experimenting with block, you know, with um, with Bitcoin, what's the easiest way for them to start, you know, to get a wallet and to make a transaction, What their first transaction? What do you recommend? Oh, I would really just recommend you get involved with us, and we'll just walk you through it. A lot of different ways to go about that. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Yeah, hit up blockchainedu.org. Right. We'd love to help you guys out. <laughs> All right, great. Well, this has been a great interview. I appreciate it. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, thanks for taking the time, Dean. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on. You have been listening to Almost Here, Around the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Subscribe to this podcast, post a review, to discover more future technologies that are poised to transform our lives for better or worse, such as Bitcoin, artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more.